0: If you would, please turn tonight in your Bibles to Psalm 57, Psalm 57, Psalm 57 is a series of Psalms that are taking place in the life of David, especially as he is grappling with what we might call outside forces who are intending to destroy his life, Psalm 57 says this, To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God, Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Just as we saw last time in Psalm 56, Psalm 57 has a very similar theme and format. And for those of you who weren't with us, that particular psalm is, of course, as all the psalms, songs to be sung. Even though we call them psalms, that's really what is meant by the idea of singing, just as we did four songs in a row. We sang. And when you see the psalms on the written page, That's certainly one way to learn them and to understand them. But remember also that these are psalms that were sung by the people of Israel. And for us, they don't sound like songs. They sound like verses, right? They sound like things that you would write in a book but not sing in a song. But if you were to rhythmically place them in a way that could be easily sung, they might go something like this. This is a psalm book called The Book of Psalms for Worship. And I introduced this to you last time because of Psalm 56, and I'll do so again tonight with Psalm 57. Now, we just read this psalm, but listen to it with some rhythm that would be easily allowing you to make it sing. Listen to it again. With rhyme. This is so very beautiful. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, because my soul has found in you its true security. I'm safe in shadow of your wings till ruin passes by. I'll cry to God who gives me help I'll call to God most high. From heaven he will send and save, shaming those hounding me. His loving kindness God will send and ever faithful be. My soul among the lions lies with men who lust for war, with those whose teeth are spears and darts, whose tongues are sharpened swords. Oh, be exalted high, O oh God, above the heavens stand, and let your glory be above all earth, both sea and land. They spread a net to catch my feet. My soul was bowed with dread. Although they dug a pit for me, they fell in it instead. My heart is firm, my heart is firm. O oh God, I'll praise with song. My glory wake, wake harp and lyre, my song will wake the dawn. And I will offer thanks to you among the peoples, Lord, and I among the nations will with song my praise sound forth. Because your covenant love is great, it reaches heaven high, and your unfailing faithfulness extends up to the sky. O oh, be exalted high, O oh God, above the heavens stand, and let your glory be above all earth, both sea and land. Now that's a song to be sung. Someone has meditated on that psalm and spent a great number of hours, I suspect, putting that to rhyme, but so very sweet and so very teachable. Let's look at Psalm 57. And just like Psalm 56, as I said, because this is a song, there's a chorus, there's a refrain. Did you pick it out? It's very easy to see. Look at verse 5 again and verse 11. Do you see how it's repeated? That means, of course, that this is the chorus. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's verse 5. Verse 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's the refrain. That's the essence of this psalm. That's why I've titled this message tonight, Be Highly Exalted, O Glorious God. Be Highly Exalted, O Glorious God. These words obviously form the refrain or the chorus of this great hymn of the faith, but perhaps we could ask the question as to why God would be so gloriously exalted. I mean, if that's what King David the psalmist is saying, this is the refrain, this is the chorus, this is the title, this is what we should be doing in our lives, we should be exalting God, this glorious God. But the question is, why? What is it about this psalm? What is it about God? What is it about Him that calls for or deserves such high praise? Well, David says, here's the answer. Here's the answer to that question. When we delve into the whole of this psalm, you're going to see the justification for such high praise. And I think we get a sense of it from the very beginning because in the Hebrew text of this particular psalm, I've told you repeatedly as we've studied that verse 1 is actually the superscription. Look back there. Look back at that little title underneath Psalm 57 in your Bibles. It says, to the choir master, colon, which means... Here's instruction for the choir master as he leads us in this song. And here's what he's to do, this choir master. He's supposed to sing it accordingly to the tune. And here's the strange title of the tune, Do Not Destroy. Have you ever heard a more strange title of a tune to a song? This is what it says, Do Not Destroy. And then it says, "A Amiktam. Now, that's a lost word to us. We don't know exactly what it means, but it's probably some kind of musical term. And it says, a miktam of David. And then notice the clue, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Of course, we know who Saul is. King Saul. And David was constantly in those early years fleeing from Saul because Saul wanted to destroy him. And perhaps you know now Why we might sing this psalm to the tune of, do not destroy. This is essentially what Psalm 57 is all about. Do not destroy. But what does that mean? What's that tune? What is it meaning? What is it saying? Here's what it's saying. It could be one of two things. I've selected the one that I think it is. You make your own choice. Here's the first one. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9, this tune, whatever that tune was, whatever the musical notes were for this tune, Do Not Destroy, it could be recalling in the history of Israel the idea of this covenant God, even in the midst of the sinfulness of His people, remembering such a covenant not to destroy them. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Look at verses 25 and 26. This, of course, was when Moses was pleading with the Lord not to destroy the people of Israel due to the golden calf incident. Look at verses 25 and 26, Moses speaking. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights. Perhaps this is where we get the idea of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. What's Moses doing? He's laying still before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. Could you imagine such a thing if you were called upon to do that? To lay prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights? Why? Well, remember the calf incident. Remember that God brought Moses up to the mountain to give him what? The Ten Commandments. And Moses is now descending from the mountain of God, having met with God, having received the commandments, and now when he comes down, he even is given an introduction by God himself. Uh, Do you hear something, Moses? What is it that I hear? I hear what sounds like people partying, we might say. Go down and look upon your people, Moses, and see what they're doing. And Moses goes down, and what does he see? He sees a party. And what are they doing at the party? Worshipping the golden calf. Now, I suspect that's not a good thing, right? They're not worshiping the true God, Yahweh. They're worshiping a God that they have constructed Now you know why Moses is laying prostrate because he is interceding before the Lord in this way, maybe to the tune of a song, do not destroy, do not destroy your people. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said He would destroy you, you being the people, the people of Israel. And I prayed to the Lord O Lord God, O Yahweh God, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You know what Moses is doing in this moment? He's the intercessor. He's the go-between between God and man. And he's asking God to spare the lives of these sinful, wicked idolaters. Perhaps the phrase, do not destroy, here in Psalm 57, might tie into the idea of a psalm like this. When there is need for an intercessor, someone to stand between a wrathful God who is about to to destroy His people because they deserve it, And he asks the Lord to stay his hand so that the people are not forever destroyed. Maybe that was such a recurring theme in the life of the people of Israel that somehow a tune was set to music that needed to be sung every time the people were sinning against their God with idolatrous worship. Do not destroy. Do not end the lives of these wicked people, even though they deserve it. Perhaps that's what do not destroy means. We don't know. Or perhaps this phrase, do not destroy, means something else. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 26. 1 Samuel 26. And this is the one I choose because it seems to me that because we're talking about King David... And because we're talking about his life and because it's his psalm that we're studying, Psalm 57, perhaps this is in David's mind. Psalm 57 might be referring to 1 Samuel 26. Look at verses 9 to 11. This is when David had yet another opportunity to slay King Saul. Remember, Saul was looking for David to slay him and there, in a scene in 1 Samuel 26, there is an opportunity whereby David has the upper hand on Saul, and he could have killed him in an instant, 1 Samuel 26, 9, 10, and 11. But David said to Abishai, what are those words? Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. You say, what is this referring to? Well, Psalm 57 in that superscription says that this is a song that David wrote when he fled from Saul in the cave. So David's in a cave somewhere. And as he is in that cave, probably trying to get some sleep, it's cold, it's musty. It's dirty. He's the eventual king. He's the rightful king because God has anointed him ultimately to be king. And yet he's running around like he's a common criminal. He's running around like he's done things that are wretched enough to deserve to be caught and killed. And yet he knows that in his righteousness he should not be killed for things he's never done and for a sentence he doesn't deserve. And he's in this cave, however, running for his life. And while he's in that cave, and while his men are around him, and perhaps when they are as still as they possibly could be, they hear the rustling of others in the cave, and guess who's there? Saul himself. And Saul comes in. And he comes in, the Bible says, to relieve himself. He's going to the bathroom. And David is as still as can be. And perhaps if David, knowing that it is Saul himself who ought to receive the consequences of his sin, could actually end Saul's life immediately. Saul is in a vulnerable position, we might say. And if David wanted to, He could have taken his own sword and run through Saul and said, all of this running, all of this desperation, all of this wrongful perpetration of evil upon me is over. Saul has been dealt with. I'm the king. But he doesn't. Why? Well, listen to what he says. He's the Lord's anointed. As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or perhaps Saul's day will come to die, perhaps naturally, or he will go down, Saul might, into the battle and perish. The Lord, Yahweh, forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. God hasn't commanded me to kill Saul. God hasn't told me to do it. I know that Saul's in a vulnerable position He's he's taken down his robe, as it were, and it's at his feet, and he's so vulnerable. And I have the upper hand, and I have the sword. So what does he do? He goes in very stealthily, and how one would do this without anybody noticing, no one shall know, and he takes his knife and he cuts off a part of Saul's robe. And when the coast is clear and Saul and his men are outside the cave, and by the way, how many men does Saul have with him according to this story? Three thousand. And when David and his little band of mighty men are in safe distance on the next hillside, he calls out in a loud voice to Saul, I could have killed you but here's the robe piece. Check your robe. Find out if what I'm telling you is true. And Saul looks down and sees the very place where David has cut a portion of his robe. David could have killed him, but he didn't. Why? Because David was absolutely committed not to taking vengeance in his own hand. That's in essence what Psalm 57 is all about. And perhaps this phrase here from David to Abishai, Abishai, stay your hand. Do not destroy him. Do not destroy Saul. Maybe that's the tune here. And maybe that's why David is saying we need to sing Psalm 57 because you as Israelites and even myself as king could potentially say in our hearts, a time or two, or a thousand times or two, it's time to take vengeance upon my enemy. God isn't working fast enough. God isn't working hard enough. God isn't working out the plan that I believe God should have. And so I'm going to take vengeance into my own hand. And this is a great psalm that says, Do not take vengeance into your own hand. This is what is happening in David's life. Whatever was in his mind, either about the destruction of God's people due to their sinfulness or even whether or not Israel's king Saul deserved to die due to his own sinful pursuit of David, this psalm is beckoning the people of God to sing God's praises for deliverance by trusting Him, that is Yahweh God, and when He chooses to bring vengeance upon Israel's enemies wait for God, trust God, believe God. Now, some of you might say, now, wait a minute, isn't this scene of David and Saul and the cutting off of the robe sound somewhat familiar? Go back a couple of chapters to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. This is actually the first example of how David chose not to destroy the Lord's anointed, though Saul was a a wicked king in Israel. This is the historical record of what happened. This is this is amazing because what the Bible is telling us is that there were actually two instances in which David did this. Look at 1 Samuel 24 verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told behold David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks." And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day in which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him. You say, what does that mean? That means David's conscience was stricken because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. See my Father, referring to Saul as a father figure, a king figure. See the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice? My son David, remember it's a, it's a little bit of a ways between them because is, David's still wanting to secure himself. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, "'You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe?' So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, of course, just two chapters later, in chapter 26, David spares Saul again, which means David's consistent with his actions, and Saul has completely forgotten that he'd been delivered into David's hands, or possibly not forgotten. Saul's all about vengeance. David's not. You see the point? And by the way, all this historical fact, all that we just read, Deuteronomy 9, what Moses is doing to to lay before God to save His people from their wickedness, to see what David is doing not to destroy the King of Israel because he is, at that moment at least, the Lord's anointed. That's all the historical fact. Go back to Psalm 57. This is what's in David's heart. This is what David sings. All of that that I've read, that's the fact of the historical record. This is the song about that record. Psalm 57. No wonder David comes up with the chorus, Be highly exalted, O glorious God. Why? Why? Because David's still alive. He's still alive. I mean, just as much as Saul and 3,000 men who could have found him and killed him at once in the vengeance of Saul's heart, does he not think in his own heart, that is David, that God is protecting him every single day, every single moment, every single attack every single pursuit. Is that, is that what you think? Is that what you think when you're in a jam, that when you're in a tough spot, when you don't see the way out? Are you trusting God like David? God's going to vindicate me. I, I don't have to perpetrate vengeance upon my enemies because I don't think God's working fast enough. I don't think God's working wisely enough. I don't think He's doing in my need what He should otherwise be doing. God, aren't you listening? Aren't you there? Now, this is a psalm in which David is fixed and secure that God is to be highly exalted. And he uses that chorus those two times in verses 5 and 11. And then he gives you the actual reasons from his heart. Not just the historical record. We've read that, but this is what's in David's heart. This is his song, and this ought to be your song and my song. And I see five verses of this song. Look at the first one. Look at verse one. This is the the first verse of this song to be sung. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. Be gracious, your Bible might say. Be gracious to me, O God, for in you my soul takes refuge. Saul's after me. I heard him in the cave. He's got 3,000 men with him. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Now you know what the storms of destruction are. Can you hear... The stomping of 3,000 men and 6,000 feet. Can, can you hear that? I mean, there are, there are people who are vowing in their hearts to ensure that they will not do anything else except what King Saul orders them to do, and that is to find David and kill him. I've never had that example. I, I've never had that adventure. I, I've never had that circumstance. Nobody's been after me like they were after the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts where it says that they had made a covenant not to eat or drink until Paul was dead. Now that's something I cannot relate to. But I might be able to relate to verse 1 so that in whatever circumstances I'm in and I'm in a pickle, I'm in desperate straits as I perceive it about my life, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, and maybe we could say it this way, for in you and you alone, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by, till Saul and his 3,000 men are away from me. That's that's verse one of this song. No, no wonder he says, that God is to be so highly exalted. If you want me to put a principle for it in verse 1 to you, it'd be this, God fulfills His great purpose for me. God fulfills His great purpose for me. You say, how so? Look at verse 2. I cry out to God most high. And remember, Saul's right there I'm crying out to God. Can you imagine his pulse rate? He's in that cave. Can you imagine how he has to be both utterly still and yet his heart is pounding out of his chest? I cry out to God most high. To God who, and then what's that next phrase? Fulfills his purpose for me. What does he mean by that? David knows he's anointed. He knows he's not yet the king, but he knows he's God's selection to be king, which means he knows that God has a purpose for him, which gives him the onus to believe and trust that God's not finished with him. Now, it's a long way between knowing that God isn't finished with you and believing that He's not finished with you in that moment. When your heart is beating out of your chest. You and I might have the same sense, I believe God has a purpose for me, so I don't assume that my life is to end right now. But how tempted are we to say, and yet might my life be ending right now? No, wait a minute. I'm going to trust God Verse 3, he will send from heaven and save me. Notice David's faith. He will send from heaven and save me. I'm in the cave with Saul. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Saul and his enemies. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then notice that word I didn't read earlier when we read Psalm 57, selah. It means pause. Think about it. Ponder it. Can you imagine? David's probably pulled up his own tunic, his robe, and that's the only thing he has as a blanket. And he's trying to get some shut-eye. And then he hears the commotion. And then he realizes, Saul's here. He's in the cave. Will he find me? And here's his answer, beloved. He will send from heaven and save me. And He's going to put to shame everybody who tramples on me. He's going to send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. Steadfast love, loyal love, covenant love, covenant commitment. Do you know why God didn't destroy the Israelites in a moment at the golden calf incident? Because of exactly what Moses said to the Lord. What about your heritage? what about your covenant? And so here it is, verse 3, God will send out His steadfast love, His covenant love, His loyal love, and His faithfulness. That's the word for truth. He's going to send out His love and His truth. And by the way, isn't that such a beautiful way of saying it? He's going to send it out. Can you imagine in heaven, God is ruling on His throne, and you and I have tremendous needs in our lives, whatever they may be, safety, uh, an opportunity to be cared for. I need a job. I, I need employment. I need the money to come in. Uh, I, I, I need to be safe. Just this morning after the morning service, one of our members came and told me that someone had hacked into their computer and was at the very moment of that hacking, messing with their security system and turning it off. You ever felt vulnerable like that, especially as an aged woman? You ever thought, since there's nobody in the house, am I safe? Somebody's actually able, through a computer system, to turn my security lights off at my own house. That's real. That's happening right now. I I need work. I need a job. I need security. I need safety I need you to come through for me. And what does God say? I'm going to send out two things to you. I'm going to dispatch them to you immediately. And what are they? Love, the loyal love that I have for you, and truth. Anybody need such a thing? Anybody asking the Lord for such a thing? This is is God fulfilling His great purpose for me. He has a plan. Do I trust His plan? Do I believe Him? Do I believe that God can be trusted? That's that's the first verse. Look at the second verse. The second verse of this song, it's in verse 4. This is what David says, My soul is in the midst of lions. These lions are in the form of men with swords. I lie down. He's in the cave. He's trying to get some sleep amid fiery beasts the children of man, which means just man in general, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. They say all kinds of wicked things against me. They're they're trying to appeal to the people of God, the very Israelites, that David really can't be trusted. David's not your guy. Saul is. Well, if... Verse 1 of this song is, God fulfills His great purpose for me. Verse 2 here is, God forms His great pressure in me. God forms His great pressure in me. You say, what in the world does that mean? You know what verse 4 is telling me? That God is sovereign. And even though I'm in the midst of lions, even though I'm lying amid fiery beasts, even though men who have teeth like spears and arrows and tongues like sharp swords are after me, God is in sovereign control. And what's he doing? God is actually orchestrating, forming a kind of sovereign pressure in me to trust him. He takes me right to the edge, right to the edge. He takes you to that place where you say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what God is going to bring to me. I've talked with one of you who's here tonight, who spent an entire year looking for work, laid off from one position and looking for another. And in that testimony, the person says, and it came to the last very week of the money running out. Right there, right to the edge. What God is doing is that He's forming great pressure in you to believe and trust His sovereignty. Do you trust me? Yes. Lions and beasts and spear and arrow teeth, and sharp, sordid tongues. Yes, all designed by God. All designed by God to form pressure in the circumstances so you'll trust His sovereignty. Look at the third verse in the song. Look at verse 6. This is is God fashioning His great providence toward me. Look at verse 6. David says, they, speaking of Saul and his army, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. In other words, I was at the lowest ebb of my life. They dug a pit in my way. They want to capture me, but look at what happens. They have fallen into it themselves. What's he saying? Well, God's fashioning his providence toward me. Look, what they meant for evil, God means for, for good. Genesis 5020. God pushes us right to the edge and creates great pressure in our lives to trust Him. And then we see the very unfolding of His providence. Because those nets, that trap, it's it's right there. It's been dug. They have it ready, and they're thinking, I'm going to walk right to the edge, and the next step is me going downward. And what God does in His providence toward me is that He causes me to go left and right and miss the trap, and the enemy goes in it instead of me. Look. Look. This is a real man, David, with a real life and he's a sinful man at that and he wants to do the right thing just like you and like me. We're real people. We have real lives. We've got real needs. We have real temptations not to trust God, not to believe that He has our best interests in mind and you say, oh, no, that's not me. I mean, I know God. I I trust Him. Yeah, but when the pressure's on, when the trap is set, do you believe that God will deliver you? This is this is the song. You asked me the question, how is it that I could sing a song that God is to be mighty, exalted, and glorious? And I say because He's going to fulfill His great purpose in me, because He's going to form this great pressure that causes me to trust Him, and He's going to fashion His great providence so that the very traps that are set for me actually are the traps that my enemies fall into themselves. This is, this is a great song to sing. Look at, look at verse 4 of the song. Look at verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Glory just means awake my whole being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I'll cause everybody to get up so that we can sing. What's he saying? God flings His great praise from me. God just flings me out as a trumpeter, as a singer, Notice, I will sing and make melody, awake my glory, awake my whole being, awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. Everybody, get up. Why? Because God has made my heart so steadfast. There's security. There's a steadfast heart. There's safety. I was thinking about my dear son-in-law driving cross-country. Is he going to be safe? So we're going to deliver him. You, you, you have all of those. You have all of those little bitty things. Uh, will, we, will we make it out of Peru before an earthquake? Will we will we be able to, to have safety? This is, this is something that none of us believe that we have nailed down tight in our own sufficiency. This is, this is David wondering... Do you have it all in control? And the Lord's answer is, I'm going to put pressure in your heart to bring you right to the edge, and you're going to have this sovereign God that you're going to end up rejoicing in and trusting. No wonder He can say, my heart is steadfast. No wonder He can say, I will sing and make melody, and I'll awake my whole being, and I'll take the harp and the lyre, and I'll awake even the dawn itself, because God can be trusted. But what a, what a song to sing. No wonder you can say, be highly exalted, O glorious God. And look at the last verse of the song, verses 9 and 10. This is, the, this is the song to sing. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. You notice that in verse 10? It's exactly like verse 3. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, if you were in a pinch, if you were being carried circumstantially into the vice, the vice, maybe all you have time for and maybe all you can remember about Psalm 57 in this exalted God is something like this. Steadfast love and faithfulness steadfast love and faithfulness. God, you're faithful. You're faithful with your truth, steadfast, loyal love. And he's not content in verses 9 and 10 to just talk about that himself. He frames God's great character through David's experience, and he says, I'm going to praise you and give thanks to you among the peoples and among the nations. I mean, what does that mean? That means you and I are going to go to our neighbors and we're going to say, let me tell you about the God who delivered me from my sin. Let me tell you about the God who has saved me from eternal destruction. I mean, this is this is the God that we serve. This is... This is who Jesus Christ is. He's the one who fulfills all of our needs so that we can tell others about Him. I mean, no wonder. Verse 5 says, be exalted, O God. Here's the chorus. Above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. Verse 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Oh, I wish we had time to talk about this idea of vengeance more. I mean, if we did, I'd probably take you to Romans 12 that says, do not take vengeance upon yourselves. Give it to the Lord, for He will take vengeance upon those when He chooses to do so and how or maybe i could take you to first peter 2 where it says about the lord jesus christ that when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he was accused he did not say hey wait a minute that's not fair that's not who i am that's not what i did this is a kangaroo court who's in charge here this is a sham. Let me out. I did nothing wrong. No, like Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And aren't you glad he didn't? You see, this whole matter of vengeance and And God, where are you? And why aren't you protecting me from my enemies? And and why isn't there fairness in the world? Is all bound up in the reality that Jesus Christ Himself, sinless, chose not to open His mouth, chose not to defend Himself, and went all the way to the cross because God was fulfilling His purpose in Jesus. And so he was silent at the cross, taking that sin, the sin of the world, upon himself because he knew that God's purpose was fulfilled in him. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight is a night where we've got to ask ourselves the question, Could anyone claim that they had it worse than the Lord Jesus, the Son of the living God, that David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, was one who himself chose not to take the vengeance that was actually rightfully his to take because he is the perfect Son of God who never sinned against anyone, and and yet he was constantly dogged by sinners against himself? sinners who wanted him dead and out of the way. And there in his earthly ministry as a man, he chose to take all the abuse that was hurled at him from wicked, vile, guilty sinners. And even though he himself had no sin, even though he'd never sinned against them, why did he not retaliate? Why did he... Why did He not exact vengeance upon these, these wicked religious leaders, these people who were so against Him for no reason, no reason at all? Well, I suspect it was because of David in his line who said in Psalm 57 to, I cry out to the Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He knew what the purpose was. He knew what the end was. He knew what he had to do, and he trusted God for what God was going to do to fulfill His purpose in him. And so we ask tonight, Father, all of us, each of us individually, what is your purpose for me? How are you fulfilling the goals that you have set for me? And how am I trusting you, even though I may not know what exactly those plans are? Am I kicking against your plan? Am I questioning it? Am I wondering why you're not doing what I think you ought to be doing? Oh, Lord, deliver us like David and like our Lord Jesus Christ from the presumption that we know what your Purpose is, and we're asking you to get on with it. Let us trust. Let us not take vengeance upon ourselves. Let us ask you to give us patience and perseverance and faith and trust so that we might see your purposes fulfilled in us, in me. May it be so. May I trust you with my life, and may you be in my life highly exalted, O glorious God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.